Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Um, well, if, if you came in a little late, uh, tonight's a little unique. Uh, we are uh, going to take a break from our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about justice. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Micah. It's a small prophet. Uh, it's towards the end of your Old Testament. If you need to use your table of contents, there is no shame. I use it all the time. Uh, so uh, again, you're going to hear more uh, from Erica about International uh, Justice Mission. Uh, they uh, specifically, they have their hands in a lot of different uh, cookie jars when it comes to justice, uh, but they specifically are working to end slavery in our world, and you're going to hear how you can be involved in that. Uh, but before we do jump into that, I just kind of wanted to talk about what does the Bible say about justice? I want to give like a 30,000-foot view uh, or a perspective that will help us see justice the way that God does. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my middle child, Nyla, came into the kitchen and said, Daddy, can I have a snack? And she did it in that like cute little girl voice where she knows like she has me wrapped around her thumb and she can make me do anything. Um, and so she had that cute little voice, Daddy, can I have a snack? But this time I was resolved to say no. We've been having issues with Nyla finishing her dinner, and so I was like, nope, you're not going to bait me into saying yes. So I said, sweetheart, no, you cannot have a snack. It is close to dinner time. I might as well have taken like her favorite baby doll and just like snapped the head off in front of her face. I might as well have said, snacks are now no longer at the Randall home. We are moving to the North Pole where the only snack is going to be licking ice. Like, that, I might as well have said that because I feel like I just crushed her. She ran out. She was so mad. She's furious through this big temper tantrum. And she just kept saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And so me being the solid dad that I was, uh, lashed out in anger, was like, life's not fair, kid. Get over it, right? Uh, well, about a few moments, uh, minutes later, uh, my oldest, Evelyn, comes into the room. And guess what's in her hand? A snack, right? And I look up and I'm like, where did you get that? And she's like, mom said I could have it. And I was like, oh, shoot, right? Like I win the best prize for being the best dad uh, that year. And so I have to go talk up from, go have to talk to my three-year-old Evelyn, who of course thinks this is unfair, not because I said no, but because her sister has one, right? She wants equal treatment. So I have to go explain, apologize for my harsh words. And I have to explain to her, hey, this is why you didn't get a snack. You haven't been eating your dinner. So in my, in my three-year-old daughter's mind, I was being unfair. But in my mind, I was being fair. I share this story because I think deep down, we have this innate sense that's built into us where we know instinctively what it means to be fair and what it means to be unfair. In other words, I would say that we all have an innate sense in some respects of what justice actually is. But here's where the problem comes into play, especially in our Western society. Every single person thinks that they are on the right side of justice. No one is willing to admit that maybe they are being unjust. And it's because of that that we have just muddied the waters of what it actually means to be fair and unfair. Think about it, right? 
the pro-life position on abortion and the pro-choice position on abortion both argue from the same platform that their side is the one that's actually being just, that they are on the side of justice. Those who are for and against affirmative action both argue that they are the ones that are being truly fair. And the political parties, Democrats, they typically appeal to the common good, and they call that just. Republicans typically appeal to individual rights, and they call that just. Every judge thinks that they are being fair. Every lawyer thinks that they are being fair. Airports think that they are fair to charge $22 for a bottle of water. They're not being fair. That is ridiculous. That is unjust. But seriously, do you you see how everybody thinks that they're on the side of justice? No one is willing to admit that they might be unjust. And no, no wonder we are confused in our culture of what justice really is, what it means to be fair. Well, tonight, I don't want to argue about certain issues. I don't want to start just labeling everything in our culture as a justice issue. Instead, what I want to do is I want to look at what the Bible says. I want to look at what the Bible says about justice, and I want to come to it with an honest perspective. And I want to allow the biblical perspective of justice to confront our hearts, because here's what I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you this is going to happen tonight, because it happened with me as I put this talk together. The issue of justice is so monumental in the scriptures that it's guaranteed in some way to confront you in such a way where you're going to realize that your perspective of justice is actually pretty small. It did that to me this week. What we think about justice is often incomplete. And the scripture's perspective on it is going to challenge us and confront us. So if you've got your Bible, let's check out Micah 6. We'll be reading just verse 8 tonight. Some of you guys might have heard this verse. And tonight's message is really simple because it's only going to be this one verse. I'll share some other supplemental scriptures, but this is the scripture that we're going to ground in because if you get this scripture, you really get all of the biblical perspective on justice. All right, so this is Micah 6, 8. It says this, He has shown you, O mortal, or O man, or O woman, O person, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So out of this verse, I have one big idea that I want us to get. If you don't get anything else tonight, get this. The mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. The mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. I want to answer these uh, three questions that I think come out of this verse. And the three questions are this. What is justice? How does mercy motivate justice? And what sustains the mission of justice? And I think the answer to all three of those questions is going to help us understand this big idea. And that big idea, again, is the mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. Did we not get slides? Oh, all right. Um, I apologize for that tonight. So uh, I'll try to repeat stuff uh, so that you guys get a chance to write it down. Uh, The mercy of Jesus 
motivates the mission of justice. That's the, the big idea. So the first question I want to answer is this. What is justice? What is justice? Now, the Hebrew word for justice in the Old Testament is this word called mishpat. It's actually used over 200 times in the Old Testament. And a good definition for how this word is used in the Old Testament is this. Justice, or mishpat, is punishment for the guilty and protection for the vulnerable. Justice is punishment for the guilty and protection for the vulnerable. Proverbs 21.15 says this, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but it brings terror to the evildoers. Brings terror to the evildoers. In other words, justice is punishment for those that are evil and do wicked deeds against the innocent or the righteous. Now this is huge because we tend to think of God as loving, as gracious, as kind, as forgiving, right? But the Bible also presents God as a God of justice. And that means, in one sense, that he punishes the guilty. He punishes those who are wicked and do wrong. And we need to actually see him this way. We need to see him this way. I mean, think about it, right? If a man who murdered his entire family was suddenly put on trial and there was a judge who said, ah, I think I'll let this guy off the hook, right? You know, it's a one-time thing. We'll just let him go. I'm a gracious, I'm a loving judge. We'll let this guy go, right? There's something internally wrong with you if you don't look at that situation and say, are you crazy? That is injustice. That is wrong. That is not being fair. We need a God who brings punishment on the guilty because when God punishes the guilty, what God is also doing is he's saying, this is right, this is wrong. He's putting a line in the sand and he's saying, this is right, this is wrong. And likewise, we too, if we want to be people of justice and emulate God in this respect, we have to call out the wrongness of evil and we have to call out the goodness of what is right. We have to say, hey, this is good. This is right. And we have to say, hey, no, this is evil. And this is wrong. However, that's not the only thing justice is. Justice is not just saying, hey, let's balance the scales and make everything equal. That's not just what justice is. It's not, justice is not just making things equal treatment. And the reason it can't just be that is because there are certain people who require special treatment. There are certain people who don't just require equal treatment, they require special treatment. A lot of people think that justice is only for the virtuous, but justice is also for the vulnerable. Zechariah uh, 7, 10 through 11 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. You have four different uh, people mentioned in those verses. You have the widow, you have the orphan, you have the immigrant, and you have the poor. 
And they all share something in common. Those people are all vulnerable. They're vulnerable. In ancient cultures, these people would have had no social power. They would have not been able to uh, speak up for themselves. They, could been, they were easily exploited. They were easily taken advantage of. Uh, in today's society, you could say that these people represent the single moms of our culture, migrant workers, refugees, and the elderly. They were the vulnerable. And so what God is saying here, and it's rather striking, is this. God is saying it's not good enough to just simply help these people whenever you want because you feel bad for them. That's called charity. But God doesn't say, hey, do charity. He says, do justice. God, in other words, is saying, if you refuse to help these vulnerable people, you're actually being unjust. You're being unfair. So strong is this emphasis that usually when you see the word justice in the Old Testament, you will see these four categories of people. You will see the vulnerable people mentioned when God is talking about justice. In fact, God often introduces himself as a defender of the vulnerable. He'll often say, I am the defender of the widow. I'm the defender of the poor. Think about that. God is the defender of the poor, right? This isn't to say that, like, we can't stick up for justice when it's uh, for the rich or, or that we should just deny justice to the rich people. However, I want us to enter into some uh, of the, the nuances of the text here because God never introduces himself as the defender of the rich. He never does that. He always introduces himself as the defender of the poor. Why? Why does God do that? Because it's the poor that most often experience injustice. It's the poor that most often experience injustice. I mean, think about it, right? If I want to go and take it, if I'm a wicked person and I want to go and take advantage of somebody, am I going after somebody who's got a ton of resources that can fight me back? Am I going to someone who's got a ton of social power who can overpower me and defend themselves against me? No. I'm going to go to those people who cannot defend themselves, who have no resources, who have no social uh, status to counteract my plans. And guys, experience shows that this is the reality. Look up all the statistics. Stats back up that the poor experience injustice more than the rich. It's just a fact of our world. At the end of the day, if we refuse to help the vulnerable, we see in our lives, we're not just failing to be good people, guys. We're actually on the wrong side of justice. Because it's the mercy of Jesus that motivates the mission of justice. Now, if that doesn't sting you a little bit, if that doesn't stir something up in you, you're not reading the text. You're not following along with what the Bible says. If if you're not looking at that and saying, hey, if that's the standard of justice, I don't know if I can get there. That's a good thing. Because this answer to this second question is going to help us uh, live or, or find out what the standard of justice is so that God can motivate us on that mission. So the mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. What is justice? Justice is punishment for the guilty and it's protection for the vulnerable. So the second question is, how does mercy motivate justice? 
When you read Micah 6, 8, it says, right, to act justly and then to love mercy. Act justly, love mercy. Now, you might think, hey, those are two separate commands, but they're actually impossible to separate. You cannot have one without the other. In, in this verse, justice is actually the action. It's something we do externally. Loving mercy is the attitude behind it. So mercy, if you love mercy, the natural outflow of loving mercy should be to do justice. That's what this text is implying. In other words, again, that's our big idea. The mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. Guys, it's actually impossible, according to the scripture, to claim to know God and then not do anything in regards to justice. If you are going to claim, I know the mercy of God, and then you have no evidence in your life of doing justice, then you are a person that does not know God. All throughout the Bible, in fact, God is going to connect mercy and justice. He is going to connect his saving kindness and mercy to how people should demonstrate justice to the world. Exodus 22, 21 through 23 says this, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, they cry out to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. Notice God says two things, right? He says, don't mistreat the foreigner, and don't take advantage of the widow. Well, why does he say that? Why does he say that? He's connecting a motivation to that. He says, you used to be a foreigner, You used to live in Egypt, and you cried out to me for help, and I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that rescued you as a foreigner in a land from the oppressors. I'm the one that heard your cry and responded to you. If I'm the one that has saved you, how can you treat other people who were just like you? In other words, God is saying, see yourself in the foreigner. See yourself in the orphan. See yourself in the widow and in the poor, because you were that person. And I rescued you, and I saved you. Now, therefore, those people in real life, treat them as I have treated you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness in the Greek is also the same word for justice. That in him we might become the justified of God. That is what this verse is saying. In other words, according to the court of God, we have a verdict that says not guilty, fully approved. That's what it means to be justified. But being justified before God is is an idea that I think sometimes we only understand half of it. Because we think being justified is... Oh, that means God forgave my sins. God gave me a pardon. God let me go free. No, 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 no. That's only half of it. Justification is not just a pardon. Justification is also a position. Justification isn't just, hey, you're free to go. Justification is, hey, come in and experience. In other words, what God is saying is, not only have I wiped away your sin and forgiven it, But now I am giving you a new identity, one in which that when I look at you, I see the work of Jesus. Picture Jesus and and, uh, all of his righteous deeds 
and, and we used medals uh, or trophies to, to, to represent his righteous deeds. And not only did we take away your sin, but we took those trophies and we took those medals and we gave them to you. That's what it means to be justified. Now, what I find interesting is that surrounding this text, we're called to actually, this text in 2 Corinthians, we're called to be ambassadors for God. We're called to go into the world. We're, we're called to show people their need for God and to, to, to see people in need. And we're also called to give up our lives with a, 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 a phrase that Paul says, to have our heart wide open where we freely serve those that are around us. Why are we called to do that? Because God has demonstrated this towards us. While we were in need, while we didn't have our act together, God opened up his heart to us and he went to a cross for us and he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see how it's the mercy of Jesus that motivates the mission of justice? And here's the thing. If you read the prophets in the Old Testament, and then you read the teachings of Jesus, you will find something very similar. Because they're going to point out to some people, some religious people, some people who think they have it all together, and they're not going to mix words. They're going to use very harsh words. They're going to say, hey, you think you have a relationship with me. You talk about it. You go to church. You pray. You worship. You read your Bible. You even have doctrine memorized. But if you are greedy, if you ignore the orphans, if you take advantage of the widow by getting them to give all their money to your quote-unquote ministry while they're starving, if you go to the poor and say, oh, well, that must be their fault. They screwed up along in life. It's not up to me to actually fix that. If you're a racist against the refugees and the immigrants, Jesus is going to say, if you do those things, you do not know me. You do not have a relationship with me. And the prophets will say the same thing in the Old Testament. You cannot escape that. It's littered everywhere. Recently, I, I've been convicted in this area and specifically along the lines of my use of money. I've begun to realize in my life over the years that through accumulating debt and, and my spending habits that I've just really let a spirit of consumerism take over, where, where I've just spent my money on myself. And as I was worshiping God this last Sunday, it finally hit me where God's like, hey, you're looking to like come to this worship gathering, sing this song with gusto. You're looking to take good notes of the sermon. You're looking to find that tweetable moment so you can post it on Facebook so people see that you went to church. You're looking to say amen so that you can rally everyone up and have a good experience in the church service. And then you're going to go find people afterwards and invite them into your city group so that you get noticed, so that you're doing your job so the other pastors approve of you. That's why you're here. And then this really small voice came and said to me, but John, if you're not willing to honor me with your wallet, and for me, that was specific for me, if you're not willing to honor me with your wallet, you don't know me. 
this was not just an obedience issue for me. This was a justice issue because I had just read in the book of Ezekiel where it essentially says that if you don't give to the poor, you're robbing them. Do you guys know the Bible says that? If you're not giving to the poor, it's like you are robbing them, according to the book of Ezekiel. It wasn't just an obedience issue with me. It was a justice issue. I was failing or I was also failing to see that, guys, Jesus isn't just the savior of my sins, but he's the one who saw me as the vulnerable. He saw me as a punk kid who deserved nothing but judgment, who had spent money selfishly, entirely on himself, among a whole host of other things. And as the scriptures say, Jesus became poor so that I could become rich. Jesus spent the riches of heaven so that I didn't have to be the poor. I don't have to be the orphan. I don't have to be the spiritual refugee. I can be rich, I can be adopted into his family, and I can be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. If he did that for me, how could I not give my money away to those who are in need, to those that are vulnerable? And we closed out that service and we sang this song and in the bridge of this song, it says this, more than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. And for, for me, it was a moment because those weren't just songs that I sang. It wasn't just a prayer that I said, but it became for me a moment where I actually left the building with a motivation, a motivation to actually do justice with how I used my money. The mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. So we've seen what is justice. We've seen that mercy and how it motivates justice. This last question what sustains the mission of justice? What sustains the mission of justice? The last part of Micah 6, 8 sustains the mission of justice. It says this, that we must walk humbly with our God. That phrase just simply means to have an actual relationship with God, but it implies a lot. On, on the one hand, it implies this, that if we don't do justice, if we don't see how mercy is attached to why we should do justice, then we actually don't have a relationship with God. We're not walking humbly with our God. To refuse to do justice means we're refusing God himself. But on the other hand, it means this. Notice that it says we need to walk humbly with our God. In other words, humility is recognizing that you are not the answer to life's problems. You are not the answer to the injustice in this world. Jesus is the answer to the world's problems. Jesus is the answer to the injustice in this world. Your ability to do justice in this world will not save it. The justice shown on the cross will save this world. What if we stopped posting on Facebook about our justice issues that we're going to forget in a week and actually got on our knees and became a people of prayer, like the persistent widow that you read about in Luke, who went after the king night after night after night and begged for justice. What if we became that kind of people? Another word for humble in this verse is a word that you can use to put in its place, and it's this word, it's prudent. Prudence. To be prudent means that you're showing special care and thought for the future. You're being shrewd and you're being wise and you're being judicious, usually with your resources because you are preparing for a future. Guys, 
If you are a Christian in the room, you too are preparing for a future. A future where Jesus is coming back to bring justice to the world. And you and I, whether you're a Christian or not, are going to give an account for how we handled all that God has given to us. And whether or not we were people of justice here on this earth. Let me close with this before we hear more about International Justice Mission. Guys, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and judge the world. He's going to judge the world with righteousness. And on that day, he's going to set every single wrong right. Everything that has gone wrong in this world, Jesus will make every single bit of it right. There will be justice for every slave, every orphan child of war, every refugee who was turned away, every poor person, every widow who was neglected, every victim of racism, sexual assault, robbery, or any other form of abuse. Jesus will bring justice for all of those people. Here's the tragedy of that day. The tragedy of that day is that justice will also fall on those people who saw the vulnerable and did nothing. Justice will fall on those who turned a blind eye to the vulnerable. And the tragic thing is that many of them will have claimed to know God. But they proved that they never knew God. They never knew his mercy because they never did justice. They never loved mercy and they never walked humbly with their God. And on that day, they will say to God, this is unfair that you are judging me. And therein lies the irony of their statement. Because if they would just simply admit that God is being fair, that he is being just, then they could actually be saved. City like you, let's not leave here without acknowledging that God is perfectly fair to judge us for our lack of, in, or our lack of showing justice to other people. He is perfectly fair to judge us for that. If we acknowledge that in our hearts, then we are well on the path towards receiving God's mercy. Because it's in Jesus that we see that this judgment doesn't have to fall on us. But that it can fall on Jesus. And if we see that justice is actually being offered to us, that we might become the justified who can go out and show justice to the world. Not our justice, but God's justice. There is a beauty, there is a majesty, and there is a motivation in that. To want to leave this place without just hearing a motivational talk, but to actually be captured by his mercy in such a way where we become people that actually do justice beyond these four walls. The mercy of Jesus motivates the mission of justice. Let's pray. God, your word says a lot about justice. To the point, God, where it's so convicting, so gut-wrenching, so stirring. God, where 
many of us, myself included, just want to throw up our hands and say, God, there's no way I can measure up to this standard. I, I am guilty over and over and over and over and over again of not being a person of justice. I am not on the side of justice. And God, you knew that. And that's why you sent Jesus. Because Jesus was put on the side of injustice. Jesus was put on the cross, treated as a criminal even though he was innocent, so that I could be on the side of justice. Oh God, would you stir in our hearts? Would we be a people that love your mercy? Would what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago not just be this ticket out of hell and into heaven, but God, would it be, actually become fuel? Would it become energy? Would it become power for us to actually be a people that show justice to the world? And oh God, would you come back? Would you come back quickly? Would you come back and bring your kingdom in all of its justice? God, that we might not grow weary in seeing horrible deeds of injustice in this world. Oh God, we're trusting in you. Our hope is in you. And God, may the mercy of Jesus motivate our mission to justice. In your son's name I pray. Amen. If you guys want to turn your attention to the